If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Judges chapter 11. Judges chapter 11. That's where we're going to be. Judges is the seventh book in your Bible. Um, So if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, um, just turn seven books in and you'll be right there. A table of contents will help you out uh, immensely. But I'd love to have you guys follow along with me. I'm going to go ahead. I feel a little like far away from y'all. So I'm going to go ahead and do this. I don't know if... If I can do that, but we're going to do that. So y'all, y'all are in the splash zone. So here we go. Judges chapter 11. Uh, as uh, Lee said earlier, my name is David Wright. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, one of the things that I get to do is oversee our young adults ministry. Um, so I, I recognize a lot of familiar faces. I saw, where's Alex? I saw Alex in here earlier. Obviously, right in front of me. Um, uh, Sterling, uh, Christina, Amos, uh, so on and so forth. It's a great group. And uh, I've said this to you every time I've been in here, and I'll say it again, and that is when you guys graduate, if you end up staying in the area or coming back for the summers or even coming back to take a job after you graduate, uh, please come join us. It's a great ministry. I'm a little bit biased, but I think we have a great group of people. Um, So come join us. And if you're a senior and you want to stop by on a Thursday night sometime and you're not yet graduated, just reach out to me. It's all right. Do it. I see Aaron, too. I saw you on Thursday night. There we go. Um, So we've got a good group. If you're a high school senior, you just want to check us out on a Thursday night. Uh, Come on down. Uh, The water's warm. So let me go ahead and pray for us, and then we'll dive into our text for uh, this morning. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to have your word so accessible to us. Lord, it is a gift It is truly a gift when many of our brothers and sisters around the world do not even have access to the scriptures. Lord, I pray that these students would be students of your word, not not to grow themselves intellectually or religiously to look smarter than everyone else, but that they would read your word to love you and to obey you. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. When I watch a movie, I want there to be a thoroughly enjoyable ending. Okay, I'm not into, I'm not into your movies that are, uh, you know, your kind of weird uh, Sundance Film Festival movie that has an ambiguous, depressing ending that's like, you know, it's up to you to decide what happened. Okay, I'm not into those movies. I want the movie to tell me what happened, and I want to feel good about what happened. Okay, originally my first discussion question for us was going to be, do you like movies with happy endings or sad endings? And then the second question was going to be, what is one movie or story that you like that has a sad ending? Um, so uh, rather than doing that, we're a little short on time. My, my, uh, I'm curious, who of you would say, I'm going to assume the default is happy movies. Who, uh, who of you, and it's okay, who of you would say, you know what? I like movies with a little bit sad endings to them. Raise your hands. Be, be proud. Raise them high. Raise them high. All right, all right. That, that's, that's all right. You guys have an advantage. You guys have an advantage. And here's why. Because the book of Judges has a really sad ending. And the book of Judges is meant to be a tragedy. It's meant to be a tragedy that the longer you read it into the book, it gets worse and worse. I, I used to play with marbles growing up. And you remember if you played with marbles, you had the thing that goes like this. You know, you put the marble in and it goes like this and around and around and down and down. That's the book of Judges. Okay, it's cyclical. There's similar elements going on throughout and it just gets worse and worse and worse. And then finally, the end of Judges, you're like, what in the world just happened? 
when you're learning to shoot a three-point shot, if you're a basketball player, <clears throat> you can do one of two things. You can learn to shoot a three-point shot based on a really good shooter. You can look at Steph Curry. You can study his form. Uh, you can look at his shoes and go, eh, maybe not. But you can study his form, and you can say, wow, he's got the smoothest stroke. I mean, he's been in the league for over 10 years, and, and man, the guy just, every time he releases a shot, it just looks awesome. You can do that, or what you can do is you can go the opposite way. You can study people that aren't very good shooters, like Ben Simmons, let's say, if you're an NBA player. You can look at Ben Simmons and say, I do not want to shoot like that. And you can look at him and say, what does he do wrong, and how do I avoid what he's doing so that I can be a better shooter? Okay, if, if the book of Judges is supposed to lead us into better relationship and fellowship with God, the book of Judges is like learning to shoot a three-point shot from those who are terrible at shooting it. Hey, it's like, it, it's learning to follow God from people who are absolutely horrible at following God. But what we are supposed to do is look at the stories in the book of Judges and see ourselves in the stories and then ask ourselves the questions, how do I avoid the same mistakes that they are doing? That's what we're going to do this morning. That's what you've been doing throughout the book of Judges. And my prayer is that in the story of Jephthah, which is a tragic, tragic story, that we learn things about how to follow God faithfully, what it looks like to follow Jesus exclusively, and what it looks like to avoid the consequences of what happens when we blend in other religious practices and elements into our faith walk. That's my hope this morning. So I've titled this uh, message, The Story of Jephthah, The Cautionary Tale of a Tragic Hero. And when we pick up the story in Jephthah, we get his origin story in the first three verses of chapter 11. So many of y'all like superheroes. Superheroes always have an interesting origin story. Okay, this is Jephthah's origin story, and it's kind of depressing. So go ahead, look there at verses 1 through 3 with me. It reads this. Now Jephthah the Gileadite, the Gileadites are a group of Israelites, was a mighty warrior but he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father of Jephthah. And Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when Gilead's wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. And worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. So Jephthah, he's described as this mighty warrior, and he's got this kind of genetically mixed bag. His, his father is a man of high standing. Okay, if you're in the tribe of the Gileadites, or, or not the tribe of the Gileadites, but if you're in the subsection of the Gileadites and your dad's name is Gilead, chances are your dad's probably pretty important. Okay, so you, his dad's important, but his mom is a prostitute. Okay, so he has this genetically mixed bag. And because his mom is a prostitute, the sons of his father and his father's wife, they kind of band together and then they sort of kick him out of the land. And what happens, and fellas, you know this especially, what happens when as men, we have no purpose, we feel slighted by society and our families aren't safe place and we have a lot of free time on our hands, is we tend to do really stupid things, don't we? Okay, we tend to do really dumb things and furthermore, we tend to band together with other guys that are in our same scenario, and we tend to do stupid things with them. Okay, and that's what Jephthah does. He's, he's kind of exiled to the mountains. He, 
gathers these other uh, worthless men, as they're called in the text, and they start becoming like this band of raiders, these kind of mercenaries for hire. Okay, so that's who Jephthah is. He's a mighty warrior. He's morally compromised, but he's dang good in battle. So with that said, that's his origin story. Now we get to the present in verse 4. Look at verses 4 through 8 with me. After a time, the Ammonites made war against Israel. And when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, come and be our leader. Notice that word leader. Don't lose that word leader. Come and be our leader that we may fight against the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, did you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, that is why we have turned to you now that you may go with us and fight against the Ammonites. Notice what they now offer and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So here's what happens in case you got lost in the sauce there for a second. Here's what happens. Jephthah is in the mountains. He's in charge of these warriors. Gilead needs military help. So they go, hey, remember that guy that we kind of kicked out like several years ago? He's a really good warrior. Why don't we see if we can make him this deal? We can say, hey, Jephthah, you can come back. You can lead our army and you can bring us military victory. (laughs) And Jephthah's like, that's a terrible offer. Like, why would I ever do that? Okay, this, this, uh, this illustration is a little bit less good because uh, my, my beloved team, the New England Patriots, had a win last week. But it's kind of like, you know, the New England Patriots, they're still, you know, two and five right now. And it's kind of like, you know, if Bob Kraft, who's the owner, if he, if he went to Tom Brady and he's like, hey, Tom, so we're, kinda, we're two and five. We're not very good this year. What do you say that you come back out of retirement and be our quarterback? Tom Brady would be like, No. Like, I gave you that option to be your quarterback a few years ago, and you kind of pushed me out the door. I'm not going to come back and save you now that you're in need. Hey, that's what the elders of Gilead are doing with Jephthah. But then the elders of Gilead make a smart play. They say, okay, you don't want to be our leader. Well, how about if you come back and bring us military victory, we will make you the head of all the inhabitants. In other words, you can be kind of like a king. So then Jephthah says, well, that's kind of a situation that I, I don't think I can uh, refuse. And so this is what Jephthah says in verse 9. This is what happens. Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, if you bring me home again to fight against the Ammonites and the Lord gives them over to me, I will be your head. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, the Lord will be witnesses between us if you do not do as, uh, as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and leader over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord at Mizpah. Jephthah, in other words, says, sounds like a good deal. Here's my first takeaway from this morning. Our first takeaway is this. Selfish ambition can be disguised as spiritual ambition. Selfish ambition can be disguised as spiritual ambition. In this story, both the leaders of Gilead and Jephthah, they love to use the name of the Lord. They love to make promises before the name of the Lord. They love to invoke the name of the Lord to justify what they're doing. 
But notice how in this story so far, and what we'll see continuously, the Lord has not condoned anything that they're doing. They just like to invoke his name for, for props, for clout. Okay, that's what they're doing. The, the elders of Gilead, they bring in Jephthah and they say, well, you can be our judge. Remember, judges in the book of Judges are military deliverers. Okay, and throughout the book of Judges, the Lord is the one who directly appoints the judge. But here, the elders of Gilead take matters into their own hands and then in the Lord's name, raise up Jephthah themselves. They are acting out of selfish ambition and then they're sort of baptizing their selfish ambition as spiritual ambition. Jephthah is also a man of selfish ambition. He invokes the name of the Lord, but he's only willing to help out his brothers when he, they give him an offer that he will be their king if he succeeds. So Jephthah is saying, I'm only going to help you out at the right price. Both of these people are acting out of selfish ambition. And today, friends, what we often do and what you often do and what I often do is that we act out of selfish ambition and then pretend like we're doing it for the Lord. This is what happens in our own lives. We say things like, Lord, help me make the varsity team so that all my friends will know that I'm the man. Lord, help me get straight A's in all my classes because I, I really want to be known as smarter than all my friends. Lord, help me get into the college of my dreams. Well, why do you want to get into the college of your dreams? Because I really want to make a lot of money and have a nice life. We ask the Lord to justify our own selfish ambitions. And our prayers are often different versions of the same prayer, which is, God, pave the way for my selfish ambitions, and I don't want any interruptions in the process. And here's how you can tell on your end if you're acting out of selfish ambition or spiritual ambition or godly ambition. If you're acting out of selfish ambition, at best you're going to ask God to co-sign what you're already doing. Or to use another analogy, you're going to say, hey God, if you could kind of get in the back seat, I'm driving this thing, but, but I want you in the car, but, but you need to stay back there. Okay, don't tell me where to go. Don't be a backseat driver. Just get in the car, and I want to take us where we're going to take us. Or at worst, what you do what Jephthah is going to try to do is that he tries to manipulate God. He says, God, if I do these certain things, then, then you're going to be responsible for blessing me because I've done these certain things to you. And that's what we do all the time. Lord, if I do this, if I go to church, if I'm nice to this person in school, if I don't cheat on my test, then you're going to be responsible for blessing me. That's selfish ambition. You're trying to manipulate exactly what the Lord's doing. And friends, God will not be manipulated. He's going to do his will, whether you like it or not. Here's how you can tell on the flip side if you're acting out of godly ambition. Remember in the uh, Gospel of John, when John the Baptist comes on the scene, John the Baptist is not the John who wrote the Gospel of John. That's a different John. But there's this guy named John the Baptist. He comes on the scene, and his disciples say to John the Baptist, they say, hey, uh, have you noticed that this Jesus guy is baptizing people that you could be baptizing? And John powerfully says this in John chapter 3. He says, he must increase, and I must decrease. When you are acting out of godly ambition... This is your life statement. 
not God, you must increase, and I'm going to ride your coattails and, off, and increase with you. Like, that's what, we off, that's what we want this verse to say. Like, we're cool with God increasing and getting the glory, but we want a portion of that glory. We want a little royalty check in the mail of glory. But what John says is not he must increase and I must also increase, but he must increase and I must decrease. That's the attitude that you must have if you want to please the Lord and if you want to act out of godly ambition. Now, at this point in the story, uh, I'm going to summarize it real quick. Uh, Verses 12 through 28 is a long dialogue. Jephthah essentially calls out the king of the Ammonites and says, you have no real reason to be attacking us. The king of the Ammonites says, well, I'm going to attack you anyways. And then this is what happens in verse 29. Verse 29. Verse 29 reads this, Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah. Pause there for a second. In the book of Judges, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon a judge to give him extra empowerment to deliver his people in military mighty ways. That's what the Spirit of the Lord specifically does in Judges. Okay, so he comes upon Jephthah, and Jephthah passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he passed on to the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will give the Ammonites into my hand, now look, he's trying to manipulate the Lord. Don't miss this. If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's. Jephthah, what do you mean? What do you mean that whatever comes out of your house shall be the Lord's? Well, he tells you at the end of verse 31. And I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So Jephthah is saying, he's making a dumb vow. He's saying, Lord, if you give me military victory, then the first thing that walks out of my house when I return home, I'll offer it up to you as a burnt offering. Notice how the Lord has nothing to do with this vow. The Lord does not condone this thing. But Jephthah is doing it, and he's trying to please the Lord with a common Canaanite practice. This is common in their day. People of the day, it's hard to imagine, people of the day often made sacrifices of children if they wanted to show their obedience to a God, lower G, God. And this is what Jephthah's doing. He's taking a Canaanite practice and he's stamping it on the God of Israel. So he makes this dumb vow. And look back uh, with me at verse uh, 30, 31 actually. Then whatever comes out of the doors of my house... What do you mean, Jephthah? Are are you talking about a human? Are you talking about an animal? Maybe maybe he has a cat that he doesn't like. You know, he's got this cat. It's like his wife's cat or his daughter's cat. He's like, like, I just want to get rid of this thing. Lord, whatever comes out of my house, let it be fluffy. You know, I'll I'll get rid of fluffy. I made a vow to the Lord. Like, I got to get rid of this thing. Sorry if you're a cat lover. Um, It's definitely not a dog, though, if he does have that in mind. He He has a dog. Well, if you had, had a dog, you wouldn't have made this vow. That, that's my opinion. That's, that's good exegesis right there. So, but the purpose of that is that it's ambiguous. The purpose is that it's an ambiguous vow. That it's leaving the door open for all sorts of tragedy to happen. And that tragedy does happen uh, later on. Let's continue in the story, verse 32. So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand. 
and he struck them from Arawur to the neighborhoods of Mineth, twenty cities, and as far as Abel Karamim, with a great blow. So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. Jephthah, despite making a terrible pagan vow, is still used to rescue God's people. Notice that. He makes a terrible vow. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and yet the Lord still uses Jephthah to rescue his people. That does not mean the Lord condones this, because today we have the Spirit of the Lord in us, and we do stupid things all the time. But notice the faithfulness of God to his people. That God even uses a sinner like Jephthah to deliver his people. And that's our second point. Sinful people are often used to accomplish God's sovereign purposes. No matter where we've come from, no matter what we've done in the past, our good Lord can use us in whatever way. That's good news for us, friends. This should be a major encouragement for you guys who are struggling with the decisions of your past and saying, how could the Lord possibly use me despite where I've come from or what I've done? And what the story of Jephthah shows us is that the Lord uses sinful people. In fact, he exclusively uses sinful people for his sovereign purposes. Think of the characters in the Bible. Think of the characters in the Bible. Yeah, except Jesus, obviously. Think of the characters in the Bible. Saul was a murderer. Peter was a denier. Matthew stole people's money. David was a murderer and an adulterer. Gideon was a coward. Rahab was a prostitute. Jacob was a deceiver. Moses had an anger problem. And Abraham couldn't stop telling people that his wife was his sister. Friends, God can use us no matter what we've done. And that should be a great encouragement for us. But it should also be a warning for us too. The fact that God uses sinful people for his sovereign purposes should be a warning that if the Lord is using us in mighty ways, it's not meaning that the Lord is excusing our sin. This is what we often do in our lives. We, we think, huh, if I, if, I, if I sin and there's no consequences that come immediately my way, we, we step back and go, huh, maybe it's not as big of a deal as I thought. I mean, after all, God is still using me mightily. So maybe he doesn't actually disagree with my behavior of what I'm doing. We say things like, I I know I chronically cheat in school, but if God really disapproves of it, then why did I just get into the college of my dreams? We say things like, I know I'm in a sexually inappropriate relationship online with a person I've never met, But if God really disapproves of it, then why am I still a leader at my youth group? We sin, and then when the Lord uses us for good things, we say, huh, maybe God didn't, maybe God doesn't actually think that's a big deal. And friends, the fact that sinful people are used to accomplish God's sovereign purposes, it's an encouragement to us, but it's also a warning to us. And friend, if you're in sin this morning, and you're trying to distract yourself with it by the fact that God's done some good stuff in you, let this morning be the day that you repent to turn from it. Because the consequences will come eventually. And they will come for Jephthah. And they will come for you too. But the scriptures tell us in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess with your mouth, now that's Romans 10, 8, and 9. If you confess your sins, there we go, he is faithful and just, to forgive us our sins 
and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if you're in sin this morning, know that according to Romans, it's God's kindness that leads you to repentance. So come to the Lord and don't try to get away with it any longer because it will come back to bite you. Let's keep going in the story. Verse 34 and 35, this, this foolish vow comes back to bite Jephthah. And our sin will come back to bite us if we do not repent of it. Verse 34, we're wondering exactly what in the world is going to come out of his house. And we find out here. Then Jephthah came to his home at Mizpah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. And then notice how the author describes her. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you have become the cause of great trouble to me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. The point of this story is that we read verse 35 and we go, Yes, you can, Jephthah. You don't have to do this. If Jephthah knew the scriptures, Leviticus 18, Leviticus 20, Deuteronomy 12, Deuteronomy 18, he would know that child sacrifice is clearly uh, uh, railed against throughout the scriptures. In fact, if he knew the scriptures like Leviticus 27, there's even laws about undoing a foolish vow that you've made. The tragedy of this story is that Jephthah thinks he has to go through with it because he thinks that that's how you please God. And friends, when we are living in our sin, we do all sorts of things that try to please God and they do not work. The only way we know how to live a life that pleases the Lord is if we are in prayer and in this word. Because if we try to do it on our own accord, we will do all sorts of stupid things. We may not sacrifice our kids, but we will do some dumb things in the process. The story continues, verse 36, and here's where we um, face the end of the story here, verses 36 through 40. And she, the daughter, this is also tragic, she thinks she has to go through with it. She said to him, my father, you have opened your mouth to the Lord. Do to me according of what has gone out of your mouth, now that the Lord has avenged you on your enemies, on the Ammonites. So she said to her father, let this thing be done for me. Leave me alone two months that I may go up and down on the mountains and weep for my virginity, I and my companions. So he said, go. Then he sent her away for two months, and she departed, she and her companions, and wept for her virginity on the mountains. At the end of two months, she returned to her father, who did with her according to his vow that he had made. She had never known a man, and it became custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went year by year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four days in the year. Whoa. So he makes this vow, and he says, whatever comes out of my house, the first thing I will make a sacrifice to the Lord. And he comes back, and he's feeling himself, and his daughter's feeling it. She comes out with tambourines and dancing, and it's his daughter is the first one through the doors. And he says, I've got to do this. And she says, you've got to do this. And then she goes in the mountains and weeps her virginity for a few months. And in that time, seemingly no one tells them that they don't have to do this. 
That's how bad the nation of Israel had gotten. That no one knew their own laws. Later on, actually, in the scriptures, we see an example of, of a broken vow, which is a godly broken vow. Remember when Saul says, no one, will eat, no one will eat any food until we defeat my enemies. And then his son Jonathan is like in the fields actually fighting the battle. And he takes up some honey and he eats it. And they're like, you didn't hear your dad's vow? Like, we've got to kill you. And then Jonathan's like, if my dad had just let us eat, we might have actually won the battle. You know, Jonathan's, Jonathan's your uh, dietary expert, your nutritionist. And the people, what they do is they protect Jonathan against Saul's stupid vow. So we have there a biblical example of the people breaking a vow for a greater good. And that's what should have happened here, but it doesn't. What happens here is great tragedy and it's tragedy at the hands of a term that I want to introduce. Many of you probably have heard it, uh, but if you haven't, it's called syncretism. This vow, this tragic vow, is a result of something called syncretism. And syncretism is this. The blending of two or more belief systems into a new system, or the incorporation of a re- into a religious tradition of beliefs from unrelated traditions. Syncretism is essentially like worldview or religious smoothies. How many of you guys like smoothies? Okay, I like smoothies too. You know, you get it after a workout or a long run or whatever. And what you do, you know, you put in some yogurt, you put in a banana, you put in some whey protein powder if you're into that stuff, if you're trying to bulk up, fellas. You know, you, you put in some peanut butter, whatever it might be, and then you blend it up and you got something new. And that's what syncretism is when it comes to religions and when it comes to worldviews. You take a little bit of this, you take a little bit of that. You know, I like a little bit of Christianity because I like how they care for the poor. You take a little bit of New Ageism because you're like, I like the vibe, I like the crystals. You take a little bit of humanism because you like the idea that deep down every person is a good person down inside. You pour a different, you know, concoction of elements from different worldviews. You blend it up and then you got something new. And that's what Jephthah does. He takes a little bit of a Canaanite vow. He takes a little bit of Yahweh and he creates this mess. And what you will be told and what I am told, what our culture tells us is that the best thing that we can do with religions is not be exclusive to one. The best thing we are told that we can do is take the best parts or the parts that we like from all the different religions and blend them up into a smoothie and create something new. And then we're told that being a religious person is kinder than being a Christian. We're told that if you, exclusive, if you make your religion the exclusive one, that you're a bigot, that you're binary, and that you're a jerk. And the better thing that you can do is just take the best of all religions and blend them up, and then you got this new great thing. But what the story of Jephthah tells us is that syncretism has serious consequences. And this is our third point. Syncretism has serious consequences. Friends, when you blend all sorts of worldviews and religions and then you call yourself a religious person, it's not going to lead you to more empathy, kindness, or goodness. It's only going to lead you to defrauding your neighbor in the name of some general God. The kindest thing that you can do to love your neighbors is to love the Lord with your whole heart. 
Remember what Jesus said. What are the two greatest commandments? Number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord exclusively. And then what's the second commandment? To love your neighbor as yourself. Those commandments go hand in hand. Because when we don't love the Lord properly, we don't love our neighbors properly. And when we, when we mix a bunch of religious smoothies together, we don't actually have any truth that we can give to our neighbors or any love or empathy or kindness or goodness. Syncretism has serious consequences. Well, friends, I warned you from the beginning, this story was not going to end well. This is how the story ends, with weeping and lament that's tragically um, not celebrated, but tragically remembered year after year. Our first three points were this. Selfish ambition can be disguised as spiritual ambition or ability. Sinful people are used to accomplish God's sovereign purposes. Number three, syncretism has serious consequences. And number four, I like, I like alliteration. I'm a preacher. Salvation is only found through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Jesus shows himself later on in the story that Jesus is much more superior to Jephthah. Like Jephthah, Jesus rescues his people, but unlike Jephthah, who was a tragic hero, Jesus is the true hero. Unlike Jephthah, whose sacrifice brought salvation or goodness to no one, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross in our place for our sin brings salvation to all who place their faith in it. Jesus is also superior to Jephthah's daughter. Like Jephthah's daughter, Jesus was a father's only child. Like Jephthah's daughter, Jesus went to his death willingly. And like Jephthah's daughter, Jesus' death ended in great mourning. But unlike Jephthah's daughter, Jesus' death ultimately resulted in celebration, in salvation, in resurrection, and in true deliverance for our sin. There is only one sacrifice, friends, that we need to put our gaze on this morning, and that is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Sacrifices done in the name of some foolish vow will not save you. Commitments to the Lord done in your own foolishness or selfish ambition will not bring anything good into your life. But gazing our eyes and setting our eyes on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that is how we love the Lord properly and live rightly before him. Jesus' sacrifice is the greatest sacrifice. And friends, if you're a Christian this morning, I hope this passage points you to this great sacrifice. And if you're not a Christian this morning, my prayer is that you would see this story that you would get past the story. If you're not a Christian, you're like, what are they reading in the Bible? I mean, what is going on here? But friend, if you're not a believer this morning, I pray that you would see past the story and that your gaze would be focused on Jesus Christ. You no longer have to claw your way in the dark to understand God. You no longer have to mix religions in some syncretistic smoothie to try to do the best religious thing possible. What you have to do this morning is you have to place your faith in Jesus Christ and make your soul loyalty to him. And when you do that, you will love God rightly and you will love your neighbor rightly. This story ultimately is not just a tragedy, but it's a seed to the triumph of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and pray together. Lord, we praise you.
Lord, we praise you for not leaving us in a situation like Judges. Lord, I think about I think about the ways that I would have been if it was not for you. I would be clawing my way through the dark to understand who you are. But Lord, I thank you that it is not us who have to claw through the dark anymore. Lord, you have sent your son to be the light of the world for us. And I pray for these students this morning. I pray that they would see you and see the exclusive worship and following of you not as a barrier to love their friends in school, not as a barrier to serve the the fellow people in their uh, neighborhoods and sports teams and schools and so on, but they would see loving you as the true impetus for loving their neighbors properly. I pray that they would be witnesses to the exclusive worship of Jesus Christ wherever they are, homeschool, private school, public school, wherever they're at, that they would show through their actions, through their lives, a singular gaze on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and that they would bring the love of Jesus Christ wherever they go. Lord, I pray that these students would not be ashamed to say they solely and exclusively worship you, that they would not be bullied into thinking that that removing themselves from the exclusive worship of Jesus Christ is somehow better for their neighbor. But Lord, they would love you solely and love your people well. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.